This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You are on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9. I think we all tried to play our intro then. So um, joyful, joyful, um, Hare Krishna and... Um, the Wiccan song. You know there how it goes. goes. I do, but I've forgotten. We know. Uh, no, listen, that's how, how it I goes. would have to sing it the slow motion version. But you are on the Spirit Lounge tonight with Rachel Claudine, and we have a very special guest in the studio with us, and we have another special guest that's just hovering around and isn't going to say anything, but we'll be live tweeting our show. So if you are on Twitter, you need to follow Spirit Lounge Joy. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll have lots of updates for you. But our very special guest tonight is Craig Dalton. He is a the, the vicar of St Mary's, North Melbourne, which is Claudine's church. And he apparently is a very, very intelligent man. So we're going to be asking him some very intelligent questions today, um, starting off with a topic that was actually my suggestion. So I was very interested uh, in finding out... A bit more about the plebiscite and what the church's involvement is with the marriage equality plebiscite. So, um, but to do that, I actually first had to then find out what is a plebiscite. So, here's what I found out. I went on to some uh, uh, the parliamentary business, the Australian Parliament House business website. It's a very legit, important website. And anyway... I gave me the rundown on everything. So here's what the government tells me the plebiscite is. It says it provides for a national plebiscite to be conducted at the next general election on the question of whether two people should be able to marry regardless of gender. Um, And then it says the object of the act, point one, the object of the act is to enable the views of electors on marriage equality to be determined by national plebiscite. Point two, it is Parliament's intention that if the result of the national plebiscite is the is that the majority of electors respond in the affirmative to the question specified in Section 6, which I will get to, the Parliament will A, pass any legislation necessary to allow marriage between two people regardless of their gender and B, do so within six months of that result being provided to the Minister under sec- subsection 7 in brackets one. Um, so six, which I said, section six that I said I'd get to later is the question that is to be submitted to the electors. So this is the question that they have come to the conclusion of. It says, the question to be submitted to the electors in accordance with section five is, do you support Australia allowing marriage between two people regardless of their gender? Um, A pretty straightforward question. I actually read another article that was written by University of New South Wales lecturers um, and it said um, along the lines of that the question could have been worded with words um, that uh, force opinion. So I didn't actually write down any examples of that, but I can look them up and and give you some examples of of the way the wording of the question could force examples. Anyway, um, the other thing that I found really interesting on this page was actually 
they have a section all about the human rights implications, which I found very interesting. And it says, this uh, this bill is not detrimental to any applicable rights or freedoms. The bill positively engages with the following right, following rights and freedoms. And then it says, um, ICCPR Article 25, which is another reference to the UN International Convention on Civil and Political Rights. Uh, and it says this bill positively engages with the right of citizens to directly take part in the conduct of public affairs and to vote at genuine periodic elections with universal and equal suffrage by secret ballot. And the conclusion, the bill is compatible with human rights and is, it does not raise any human rights issues. So, to me, all of this sounds positively written. It all sounds upbeat and like, oh, yes, this vote will be the best thing that could ever happen. And then you look at the news. Well, the point is we don't need um, a referendum or a plebiscite because this is a sort of thing that our elected representatives should be doing. Able to do already. People yeah. um, people who, who um, <coughs> are citizens have been telling their representatives what they think about marriage equality. So there's enough information already to um, for them to make that decision. Um, people have been talking about referendums and plebiscites. So in Australia, the ref- difference between a referendum and a plebiscite is that you need a referendum to change the constitution and that doesn't that's not the case with with the with marriage so that's why we're um we're just proposing a plebiscite because it doesn't need to change the constitution and as has been noted that's that's basically a um a compulsory national opinion poll because it's not binding on government so um it's an expensive exercise in finding um finding the opinions of people that we already know Yes. So it's it's a waste of time and it's a waste of money, and it's um, likely to just inflame the debates that we already have. Yeah. So um, my point was that from from reading what the government has to say about it in their um, actually quite easy to understand technical terms, it sounds like a good idea. But then when someone actually explains to you how damaging a plebiscite can be, not only to the LGBTIQ community, but also to the economy, Uh, then you have to take a step back and go, oh, wait, their nicely written words maybe aren't the best thing. We've (coughs) covered the the plebiscite and the debates on other, other programs on Joy, but we thought that it would be important to bring it to the Spirit Lounge because, as um, some of us have heard, the... Australian Christian Lobby has talked about saying that they should put the anti-discrimination laws on hold so that the ACL can, in quotation marks, speak freely. Um, And that's already a recognition that what certain groups like the ACL would bring to the debate about about marriage equality is already going to be discriminatory or offensive. But as we try and um, keep putting the message on the Spirit Lounge that the Australian Christian Lobby doesn't represent um, most Christians. We thought it'd be important to hear some other viewpoints um, from authoritative or at least uh, knowledgeable Christian sources and um, what what are some of the other ways that churches or Christian individuals and members of other religions, in fact, might might bring to the debate. 
Definitely. And if you have any questions tonight about the plebiscite that you would like to ask Craig or uh, you just if you know facts about other religions' stances on a plebiscite, please feel free to share them with us. Uh, send us a message on 0427 JOY949 or you can email on air at joy.org.au or you can even just, if you're listening via the I, the app, it's not just an iPhone app, it's a everything app, um, you can use the contact in the top left-hand side of the screen and that will just send it through to us. You are on Joy 94.9 and that was Wes Carr's People of Peace which was actually a song that was put together for the hashtag Say Yes to Love CD. Uh, it's That song was actually recorded live um, with beautiful children surrounding him which is what you heard in the background. Unfortunately we do not have Wes Carr live in the studio. Or little children either. Or little children but we we don't need them um, because we have Craig Dalton here. That's uh, Craig is an Anglican priest and we've um, for this for tonight's Spirit Lounge we've in, we, no, do we know whether we're going to have a plebiscite on marriage equality or not? The latest we've heard is that the Prime Minister is saying it might not happen until next year now, or others are thinking we, it might not happen at all. But in the meantime, um, people are talking about, about um, marriage equality as if there might be a plebiscite. There's already plenty of debates happening in Australia and among religious groups. So we thought it would be um, important to look at some of the diversity of opinions in faith communities about marriage equality. So as I said, um, Craig is the vicar of North St Mary's North Melbourne. Um, that's my church, so <laughs> no, no bias here at all, though. Um, so I thought it would be a good place to start just, say, just to ask... Um, what is the current status of the Anglican Church of Australia and maybe other Australian churches' policies on inclusion of LGBTI people and marriage equality? Sure. Thanks, Claudine. It's, it's good to be here. Um, in in a, a simple sentence, I would say um, confused is probably the best answer. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that in the Anglican Church, the the policy on the whole is say as little as possible. Um, historically, of course, um, the Anglican Church has uh, actually held quite an interesting place in the history of LGBTI, etc., um, relations in in Australia. Um, you know, decades ago, uh, the Anglican Church in the Diocese of Melbourne was actually at the forefront of um, the movement to decriminalise homosexuality in the state of Victoria, something that we often forget now. So how um, long ago was that? A really good question. I wasn't there at the time. Um, I think it was at the 70s, 60s, 70s, 70s, well, I think. when before all of us were. Before we really, were, yeah. Like... Um, but, you know, when you look at the, at the church now, um, I think it's fair to say that probably the dominant group within the Anglican Church of Australia perhaps most obviously represented in the Diocese of Sydney, though there are some very sensible people in Sydney too. Um, the dominant group uh, is probably, or the loudest group, is probably that group which would quite vehemently oppose um, marriage equality legislation. Um, whether that loud group is in fact the dominant group numerically is another question entirely. Um, I mean, one of the things that's going to be quite interesting as... Um, the Diocese of Melbourne, but other dioceses around Australia come up to their synods, which is like their church parliaments that are held each year, um, 
around the next you know six months or so um, is whether those synods actually debate the question of marriage equality given the likelihood of the the plebiscite or perhaps some sort of uh, actual putting up of legislation um, I suspect that those who might want to push for a discussion of it um, might not get the answer they're expecting, particularly from the laity, because people are people and everyone's got a gay or lesbian brother or sister or aunt or uncle or even in some cases parent. Um, and that's just a reality in the church as it is everywhere else in society. So you think they're going to back the idea not to support marriage equality, but then people might actually come out and surprise them? I, I, I would not want to... I would not want to predict what the church will actually come out and say in an yeah. official way. Um, I think probably an official, in an official way, the church will probably try to say as little as possible. Yeah. Um, there will be some in the church who will push for a very strong anti-message. Um, there will be some others, others of us within the church who will be um, pushing in the opposite direction, actually, and saying that full inclusion of gay and lesbian people in the life of the church and in the life of civil society is, uh, in fact, a gospel imperative. Um, the How moment you start to have those sorts of conversations, though, uh, you, you immediately hit up against a dialectic that's pretty hard to pass through. The Church of England is trying to deal with this issue at the moment, and, you know, it's it's very divisive. So do you, do you have any... Um, any broad sense of what the let's say what proportion of the church would of regular churchgoers would support marriage equality at this point uh, i don't have those sorts of numbers in front of me and i don't think anyone really has solidly reliable numbers um, but if you extrapolate from australian the, the numbers that have been surveyed out of australian society in general um, and look at the places where those questions have been asked um, I, I can't imagine that actually if you did a survey of every churchgoer in the Anglican Diocese of Melbourne, for example, I can't imagine that you would have a majority of people who were opposed. Is it topics like this that is the reason why um, like Sydney, Sydney Anglicans are separated from say Melbourne Anglicans because so I lived in Sydney prior to moving to Melbourne and I had heard about the Sydney Anglicans and how uh, if you go to I don't remember the name of the church but they're like it's the Bells and Smells Church St and James possibly Christchurch St Lawrence probably yeah, yeah, yeah. so it, uh, that they're more traditional and have much stricter views and stuff is it is that because of it's more complex no? than that yeah Christchurch St Lawrence much more gay friendly. Um, the, it's the, something, the, something the higher church yeah. ones tend to be more gay friendly than the the evangelical churches. But there, there's really? there's a lot of stereotyping around the diocese of Sydney, and and like I said before, and I meant it. There there are some very sensible and some very good people in the diocese of Sydney, um, and there's a difference between being an Anglican in Sydney and being a quote Sydney Anglican, um, right? And uh, the 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 style of evangelicalism that comes out of um, the diocese of Sydney is not restricted to Sydney, um, nor is every person who's a church adherent in Sydney, a follower of that style of Anglicanism. Right. Um, yeah. There you go. Mm. So um, just going back to, to synods and yep. where we talked about it as as um, equivalent to, to parliament for the church, like parliament that's um, synod is divided <laughs> into, I guess, different houses of um, clergy and lay people and are, are bishops a separate house or are they yeah, part of well, clergy? Yeah, well, technically... Um, so. 
quick Anglican constitutional thing. Um, there, each diocese has its own synod, which is headed by the bishop, so there's only one of those. Um, there's this thing called general synod, which is like the national church parliament, and that has three houses, the laity, the clergy, and the house of bishops. Um, and so for major legislation to be passed at the national level, um, it requires consent in all three houses. So, for example, the Anglican Church of Canada has just debated um, the question of whether Canadian clergy should be able to conduct same-sex weddings in Canadian churches. Um, some of your listeners will be aware that you know the, that Canada has had equal marriage legislation for 11 years now. That's about how long it seems to take for the churches to catch up on this question. Mm. Um, so, I mean, we, we shouldn't church bash too much if the churches are having trouble shifting because you know we haven't actually at civil society level in Australia gotten at this point to where Canada got to 11 years ago. So anyway, um, but the church in Canada um, just passed by by one vote <laughs> um, to uh, the, the first reading of a bill um, to allow Canadian Anglican clergy to conduct same-sex marriages in church. It'll come back in three years for the final vote. Three years, we work in long timelines. Um, but nonetheless, that shows how a mainstream church can actually shift a long way on this issue. Um, it's possible. So can I just quickly make a clarification? So the bishops are like the big, big bosses of the church. Then the clergy is all the people who are in ministry at the That's church? Right. People it, who have it, been ordained. In ordained ministry. Yeah. In ordained ministry. Okay, so not necessarily the person who runs the kids' Yeah, that's, um, not the kids. Okay. Not necessarily the kids. Service. And then the lay people, do they have to be church members? So they have to be... To, to, yeah, so, so every parish um, elects a number of members of the parish mm -hmm. to represent them in the synod. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's a representational thing. So it's kind of like the board of directors. Yeah, except a really, really big board. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. There you go. So that that's the the dumbed-down version of what those three terms mean. You are on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9, and that was John Butler Trio with Losing You, also from the hashtag... Say Yes to Love. Say Yes to Love. I was going to say, love always wins, and then that's I was like, actually, wait, no. So that's the first say album yes I've seen love. with the hashtag in the title. <clears throat> yes. Well, make sure if you uh, do wish to purchase that album, you put the hashtag in the title. Otherwise, all, other, all sorts of other things come up and... That that's not what you want to buy. So this is all Australian artists um, supporting Australian marriage equality. Marriage, yeah, I think uh, proceeds go to the Australian Marriage Equality Organisation. Fantastic. So our guest tonight on the Spirit Lounge is uh, Father Craig Dalton, an Anglican priest, and we're talking about the debate around marriage equality and the plebiscite that might or might not happen sometime during this parliament. And as many listeners will know, there have been groups like the Australian Christian Lobby that are already campaigning on this issue. So I'm wondering whether those Christians who are um, open or in favour of marriage equality might also be campaigning or just trying to get alternative voices out. Mm. I, I think at one level the answer is yes, and at another level um, the answer is Yes, but a bit pathetically. Um, I, I mean, one, one of the uh, the problems around uh, this particular question is that those those who hold anti views um, hold them very strongly and very vehemently, um, 
a large number of those who hold, if I can say, positive views on this question um, do so in a comparatively passive kind of way. Um, and many of those who do so in a passionate way um, have already walked away from the church one way or another. Um, or if they are still in the church, um, are often fairly isolated voices. Um, and uh, particularly for those who find themselves in, in leadership roles within the church and holding those views, um, pressure, not necessarily overt, but subtly, um, you know, is, is put on you to keep your trap shut um, because, you know, it's not the official view. Um, so one needs to be careful what one says sometimes, which, you know, at the moment you start to move into that kind of, of language and space, uh, it becomes difficult for people to express their views candidly um, and indeed to get organised. So essentially it's like... Um it's not that they don't have the views, but you have to do your research to find out if there are uh, the positive views within that organisation. Yeah, I mean, you know, one can use phrases like silent majority, but, you know, um, which are not necessarily, I think, helpful phrases. But I, I you know, I, I stand by what I said earlier that I, I think some people might be surprised at how many people within the churches um, are in favour on these sorts of questions. I mean, certainly if you look into the Uniting Church, for example, which has a reputation for being a, a much more liberal voice within the mainstream churches in Australia, um, you know, the, the Uniting Church, which has been quietly tearing itself apart over these questions over the last decade or so, um, nonetheless is you know, pretty demonstrably majority in favour of things like marriage equality, the allowing of... Um, gay people to be ordained and act in ministry, that kind of thing, uh, in terms of the actual you know, numbers of people in the pews, which is not to say that the number of people against those things is not also considerable, even within the Uniting Church. But the thing is, we don't have the debate in a public way, because the moment we try to do so, um, people do get vehement, and they usually get vehement in a way that actually um, results in particularly actually not just people who support marriage equality, but people who are openly gay within the church, um, sometimes being on the end of intentional or not vilification. Um, and so we, we get back in our boxes um, pretty fast because it can be hurtful so, to raise these issues. Um, I just wanted to bring up what all it takes for the church to become maybe more... Um, pro-marriage equality for more people in the church, not necessarily the church itself, but for more people to open their voices is for the lay members who go to those uh, meetings. What what was it called? Synod. Uh, to synod. a synod um, to speak up about their opinions. Is it, are people afraid of being outcast for their opinions? And if maybe more people shared their opinions, do you think that maybe more people would agree? I, yeah, I, uh, th th there's something in that. I wouldn't go so far as to say outcast. Um, I think you might have trouble in the synod of the, dioc of the Diocese of Sydney if you tried to raise a pro-marriage equality voice. Um, but I think if you did so, for example, in the Diocese of Melbourne, which is a, perhaps a more, a more liberal space, generally speaking, um, there would certainly be voices raised against you, but you would be heard. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in Sydney, I'm not 100% sure you would be heard. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the laity, um, but also, I mean, historically, uh, it, it's it's actually often been some particular clergy um, in the Diocese of Melbourne who have been the ones at the forefront of this. Um, Nigel Wright, who, who now lives in Scotland, Father Nigel Wright, who used to run the um, annual Midsummer Mass 
at St Agnes Glen Huntley when he was there, um, and um, currently um, Stuart Soley at St Mark's Fitzroy is in a similar um, similar space of being quite uh, strongly strong in advocacy uh, on this on this question. So there there are voices within the clergy uh, who are prepared to put themselves on the line, as it were, um, as as well as within the laity within the laity people like Muriel Porter are the most obvious. Um, people who actually speak out in a very strong way on these questions. So people, you know, people do speak out and they are heard. Um, but there's there's so much baggage behind all this stuff for everyone engaged in the conversation that sometimes it's hard to get to get to the heart of the issue without getting emotive. Mm. When you, mm. I mean, the, the names you mentioned, um, I'd say they're, um, I could describe them as more mature voices within yep, the church. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I don't see, say, um, people no, Rachel's age, perhaps, in mm-hmm. um, who are as well known or as active, or is it because I mean, is this is this tied to a general issue with young people in the church, or are they are they on are they sort of following other um, other issues? Look, I, I I think all all of that is fair comment. I mean, you know, we all know that the church is not as young as it used to be. Um, you know, I'm heading scarily towards 50 and I'm still a young person in some circles. That's why I stay in the church because I'm still young, hey. Um, but the the thing is when you're talking about people, you know, in their 20s and 30s actually having a voice, particularly if they're people who are looking um, at moving into church leadership, particularly ordained ministry, um, you do have to be careful what you say um, because it will come back to haunt you. You know, I mean, the, the times that I've spoken out on, on this and other sorts of issues in younger days, um, you know, I, I found myself having to be extremely careful and I don't think that situation's changed. In fact, if anything, it's probably got harder for people to speak now, I think, than maybe even 20 years ago because the issues are much more strident now um, because, you know, let's face it, boys and girls, one way or another, this stuff's going to happen. Um, and that has, is what's got some people within the church sufficiently scared to get angry. Do you think it might then be a case of waiting having to wait long enough that um the resistance dies out through attrition yeah i don't know whether the resistance will ever completely die out but i mean i mentioned the canadian example before but i mean the church of england at the moment of course england has had equal marriage now for a number of years i can't remember the year it went through but not as long as canada um the anglican church in england at their very recent general synod um, engaged in a series of very intentional conversations around um, these sorts of issues um, that some people, you know, have, have subsequently said were deeply unsatisfactory and should never have taken place at all because we hold these strongly biblical, biblical views. Um, and at the same time, some people I know who were, were at that have, have made very interesting blog posts about how as... Um, particularly in one case I'm thinking of a, you know, a lesbian Anglican who was part of those conversations, um, really had to just you know, do nothing for the next three or four days to recover, even though she'd been in a positive conversation experience. Um, but people don't always realise in these church conversations how hard it is for gay and lesbian people to actually speak um, and tell their stories in a room where there is the potential for someone to behave or to respond in an adversarial way. And so when you're in that kind of space, it takes a long time for the church to move. 
you are on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9 and that was Angel Hayes featuring our very own Sia with Battle Cry. Angel Hayes is also a LGBTI musical artist. I lost the word. An artist. She's an artist. Musician. From the US? Yes. 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 She is American. But Sia is our own. She's Australian. Yes. Getting, so, getting the word out everywhere. That's right. Um, we have been talking to Craig Dalton this evening about the plebiscite and we're going to move on to some more hard-hitting topics. But in a in a way that we've, we've been talking about... Um, in a soft, cushy some, way. In a soft, cushy <laughs> way. We've been talking about some of the um, mixed history of the Anglican Church in, in um, being a welcoming space for LGBTI people, but... Um, just a few weeks ago, there was, I thought, a very positive example when St Paul's Cathedral in Melbourne uh, hosted a memorial service, an interfaith service, to follow the Victorian government's memorial for the victims of the Orlando shooting. And um, Craig and I both participated in that. And um, it made me wonder whether this, um, I don't know if a turning point is, is too strong a word, but it was something that I hadn't, couldn't have seen happening in such a prominent church, say ten years ago, so do you, do you think that there is there is a change at least in in Melbourne? Look, I I, I was I, I thought that service went very well as well, um, and I was really um, quite humbled to be a part of it. The thing that impressed me most about it, I guess, was the way in which you actually had uh, gay and lesbian leaders of. Christian churches, but also of other faiths, um, all up the front together. So, you know, we had gay Muslims, we had gay Jews, we had gay Christians, um, we had representatives of um, of some other religions as well. And um, the crowd that came across from Federation Square was similarly di- diverse. Um, and in a sense, what, what St Paul's Cathedral managed to achieve uh, on that occasion was to be a, a space of welcome um, in the way that those sorts of big churches are supposed to be um you know the, the whole point of of, of a, a big cathedral in a city is supposed to be that it's the space that everyone can go um and when we set up churches whether they're big or small um as places that people are, are prohibited from entering then then we're in a, in a bad space um this was an example of it of a good space um so no i thought it was a, a very effective um service and a very good witness um, of what the church can actually do when we are what we proclaim ourselves to be, which is open and inclusive and welcoming and and all of that kind of stuff, completely fits in. I mean, you know, why am I doing the job that I'm doing? I'm doing the job that I'm doing because as a, what what was I, I don't know, 16-year-old young man, um, I came across a church community that was really opening open and welcoming um, and it was literally in that context that I worked out that I was gay because I saw all these gay men around me at church and I thought oh hang on you can be gay and you can be Christian that's really exciting and at the age of 16 I came out so to have that on a much bigger scale where someone can who might be quite you know antipathetic even towards the church can actually walk into a space like St Paul's and be surrounded by a whole pile of people who are who they are mm. and say, oh, well, if they can be, maybe I could be too. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a really positive experience, apart from the positive experience of the, the service itself as a memorial, which I, I 
just thought that the Dean Andreas constructed a very a very good service um, that worked effectively um, in that particular instance as well. So I didn't make it to the service. I had to come back here and get all the recordings uh, from the the memorial the prize, the vigil. Mm. Um, so what was what was the general vibe of of the service without having to use the word vibe? Um, <laughs> but obviously there was more than just the Anglicans whose church yep. it belonged to. There was you said everyone not only was standing up the front but was participating as well. Is that what happened? Yeah, I mean it. It was you know there were there were readings. There was uh, a sermon um, by uh, uh, Simon Holt from Collins Street Baptist Church. Oh yes. Um, who, who gave a, a, a very good and a very strong um, message. And um, really, you know, I mean, it was a memorial service. Um, it was a, a service that involved mourning um, and, but also giving thanks for um, you know, the way in which various aspects of community had responded to a tragic situation. Um, probably the most moving part of the service actually um, was the the bit that I was actually involved in, which was the um, the reading out of the names mm. of all the people who died in the nightclub, and there was a guy from the uh, American consulate um, who read those names, and he was Hispanic, and of course most of those who died were Hispanic, mm. so um, he read the names with much more fluency than than other people, some someone else might have certainly than I would have. Um, and after each tranche of names, um, I offered a short prayer, and then we moved on to the next lot of names and then another short prayer and so on. Um, and that was really very moving. I mean, mm. I, I've had to do in the past that sort of reading of lists of names of people who've died, um, and I know how harrowing it is. It must have been hell for that guy doing that. Mm. Um, but it was done so well, you could really you know, the proverb, hear the proverbial pin drop in the mm. cathedral as he was reading through these names. So it was, it was deeply respectful. Um, and actually, in some ways, deeply respectful is probably a, a good phrase to describe the whole service. Mm. Um, although there were people coming from different traditions, um, there were there was uh, respect being shown on all sides, um, and respect towards the LGBTIQ community as well within that context at a completely equal level. Do you think it's important for different religious groups to get together? during important, you know, periods of time, like, such as that? Do you think it's important that that the community see, regardless of if it's the LGBTI community mm. or other aspects of, of the community here in Australia, see that um, religion doesn't necessarily have to cause war? They can also join together when the time is called for? Absolutely. And, I mean, you know, interestingly, tonight at the same cathedral, um, there's another memorial service for the victims of Nice and Istanbul. Oh, yes. Um, so, you know, if, if you're working in a place like St Paul's, this is it's not quite your bread and butter, um, but it's certainly something that happens with, you know, a sad frequency. Yeah. Um, these, these sorts of, of memorials. Um, because stuff happens and people need to process it. Um, mm. And one of the ways some people process it is through prayer um, or through some sort of prayerful commemorative act. So memorial services on, a, on this sort of model can work i mean if you think back to the um you know the death of princess diana whenever that was you know eons ago um 
there was certainly in the UK and to a much lesser extent here amidst the collective hysteria, um, one of the things that people did was, you know, lighting candles mm, all yeah. over the place, you know. Um, people in response to tragedy um, often uh, help often work through um, their own emotions and their, their responses to that through some kind of ritual act. Um, and so something like a church service can provide an appropriate ritual act to help people actually move through the stages of grief or anger or whatever it is that they're feeling uh, mm. at the time. Now, the cathedral has for a few years had a banner outside welcoming refugees. Yep. Do you think you... Could you see it having, say, a rainbow flag um, or is there well, space for other churches to have rainbow flags or are there even... Mm, there's, a, there's, there's, there's an interesting one. Um, dare you to propose it to the dean. He might run with it. Well, I'm not, um, I'm in, not in any official capacity. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in, in fact, uh, during that service, there was a, a great mm. big rainbow flag in the back of, of the cathedral, um, interestingly mm -hmm. enough, brought across the road by um, one of the um, Jewish people who was involved in the service. Um, and uh, she stuck it right at the entrance mm -hmm. of the church, and there was certainly no attempt to move it. Amazing. But that um, was for a couple of hours. That was for a couple of hours, exactly. Can one imagine it uh, hanging hanging from uh, from the other tower of the cathedral with you know refugee issues on one tower and LGBTI BTI issues on the other? Uh, I'm not holding my breath, um, but you know it. It's a nice thought. Maybe the fine print <laughs> on their sign can I say. I mean, you know. After all, you know, rainbow flag, you know, the rainbow, it's a biblical symbol, That's Noah's true. Ark, you know, hello. Um, they got it from somewhere. And you are on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9 and we have been speaking with Craig Dalton this evening about the plebiscite and about the importance of uh, the church when things happen in our community. Um, and we just wanted to let you know that next week is our last week before we have a little break, a couple of months off uh, from the Spirit Lounge. It's our first time not being on air in five and a half years, which is a huge thing. Um, and we're going to have a best of show next week. So definitely join us for the best bits of the Spirit Lounge over the past five and a half years, but, you know, mostly the, the past year or so. Um, and also we are doing a listener survey because we want to know what you want when we get back. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.